Listen, you smell something? Human emotions are materializing in the form of a viscous psychoreactive plasm with explosive supernormal potential. What a discovery, a psychoreactive substance. Do you know what this equipment is used for? Boggle or Super Mario Brothers? We'll have fun! Yeah! Yes, you're doing it. Really, quite good work there. My friend, don't be a jerk. We've got no choice. Call a Ghostbuster. Super Jackpot! Welcome to Extraplasm Podcast. It's the only podcast on the internet that's keeping its fingers crossed for a Rankin-Bass-style claymation Ghostbusters Christmas special to ring in the holidays in 2024, because why not make that one more awesome way we could celebrate 40 years of Ghostbusters on the one hand, and on the other hand, we've only got one Ghostbusters Christmas special we can ever talk about, and it's 35 years old, so why not have another one? I'm Jim Maritato, aka Vink Maniac on the internet, and this week we are ringing in the holiday season and celebrating with our friends Tony Taylor and Jason Fitzsimmons with a watch-along commentary, not of something directly Ghostbusters related, but something a little more indirect, and it's Bill Murray's Christmas classic, Scrooged. And that's right, we're looking not at a Ghostbusters thing, uh, because, to be frank, we can't. We've already looked at Xmas Marks the Spot. It was done last year with Chris Stewart. You can find it in the back catalog from when he came on from the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossrip podcast. And we had a great time talking about Xmas Marks the Spot, the only Christmas special that exists within the Ghostbusters universe about a year ago. So this year, uh, we are instead looking at something that has Bill Murray, has ghosts, and has Christmas, and that was even marketed a bit on the back of Ghostbusters, as you'll hear us talk about in this commentary track. And I won't spill those beans for you here because I had a lot of fun with Jason and Tony digging into Scrooge and the various stories about the production that have come out in the interviews uh, and commentary and articles in the 35 years since its release. And so, you know, those details are in the commentary track for you to take a listen to. And I won't, you know, blow the blow the lead here. Uh, but I hope that you'll tune in and check this episode out, even though it's a little bit different from a normal format. And it's an opportunity for us to celebrate a bit of the holiday season together. So to listen to this commentary, you will will need to bring your own Bill Murray, uh, meaning you have to get your own copy of Scrooge to watch as you listen. But it may be helpful to know that uh, Scrooge is available as part of an Amazon Prime subscription, or at least it will, will be until we reach January, at which point it's expiring. And it's also available on Paramount Plus uh, for subscribers. It's available for rent as well for less than four dollars from Apple TV, from Amazon, from Vudu, Redbox Streaming and DirecTV. And, and who knows if you have a cable package, you might even find this on your list of on demand movies. Although I imagine a bunch of us just own this on DVD because most of us who are fans of Ghostbusters things also tend to be fans of Bill Murray things. Uh, so take a few moments to find your copy of Scrooge. And while you do, I have a couple of important announcements to let you know about uh, for the rest of the year, meaning the final week of 2023. Uh, this episode is not only the holiday special, but it's also the second to last episode of 2023. And I've been telling you for several weeks that there's something special on the horizon other than this commentary. And that's still true, uh, because next week you'll have one more special commentary episode to close out the year. Only that one will be on something Ghostbusters related directly. And that is Ghostbusters 2. Uh, that will be scheduled to release on January 30th in time for you to enjoy it by throwing your own personal watch party with the commentary track for New Year's Eve. So if you want to ring in the new year with Ghostbusters 2 by starting at 1027.53 in your local time zone so you can experience midnight at the same time as it takes place in the movie, you can do that with Extraplasm 2. And joining us on that commentary will be some familiar faces from the podcast, including Tom Henry and Matt Sanders of the Containment Unit and TCU Toys and Collectibles, 
who've done a lot of work interviewing folks who've worked on Ghostbusters 2. So they've, you know, talked with actors and uh, with prop builders, et cetera, who've worked on this film and interviewed them and had them on their own podcast. So they've got some really cool insights to bring to a discussion. Uh, as the other person who's going to join us is Derek Osborne, who you may recall as a previous guest who worked on the Cleaning Up the Town documentary and who has a ton of historical knowledge about GB2's effects, uh, its post-production, etc. He's actually sent me uh, some very cool ILM-produced uh, you know, working prints that they use to generate the Scolari brothers that are very awesome. And he has a ton of knowledge about this movie as like an avid fan of it and a collector uh, so, you know, like I said, Tom and Matt also have a ton of knowledge from interviewing those performers and being huge fans. So I think it's going to be a really exciting uh, opportunity for us to kind of talk about this movie with some folks who have a lot of wealth of knowledge to bring to it. And there may be at least one more surprise guest joining us, but you're going to have to tune in to see who it is because they're not quite confirmed yet. But um, speaking of reasons to tune in besides the commentary track and ring in the new year, you are also going to be able to find out next week about how you might be able to score some really cool Ghostbusters Frozen Empire posters or some other Ghostbusters swag by helping to support a charity initiative dear to my heart and that we've supported in the past. Uh, and if you you know participated in last year's efforts, then you probably know what organization I'm talking about, but you'll find out more next week. But I'm going to tell you this now. I, I think I may only disclose this information about how you can participate in what we're going to do via the podcast itself, meaning that I don't know that I'm going to promote what we're going to do via social media or out via Instagram, et cetera, as much as I'm going to tell those of you who are tuning in regularly and who are part of the ongoing community of listeners and supporters to get a crack at what we're going to do. Uh, so I'm not quite ready to tell you more yet, but do know that if you've been wondering how you can get yourself a full size Ghostbusters Frozen Empire poster or maybe even a mini poster, I've now got some of those in hand that have been kindly sent to us by Ghost Corps. And we're going to do something fun and positive and charitable with those next week. And the way to know about it is going to be to tune in and listen to that commentary. And the final thing I'll tell you to know about uh, is that if you do indeed want to watch the movie and experience the commentary live with friends or just with folks who are like you who might become your friends, um, one way you'll be able to do that is to participate in the live premiere of the episode that will take place on YouTube uh, probably starting somewhere around 10, 15 p.m. Eastern on New Year's Eve. Uh, that's so that, that way the movie can start on time or the commentary can start on time and get you ready for midnight. This is not going to be something where, you know, we're all going to be on camera for you to watch us while you try and watch a movie. But instead, it will be the audio version of the podcast released on YouTube as every episode is each week. Uh, for those of you who are watching it or listening to it on YouTube uh, but that will give you the ability to participate in a chat room with folks during the live premiere. I will be on hand, obviously, to engage with folks who want to chat and talk about the movie as we're listening to the commentary. So if you want to listen into the commentary and chat with folks and sort of get some like minded folks there with you, there'll be an interactive option out there for you to engage and celebrate with others. And I'm hopeful that whether you do it live or whether you choose to listen and watch the movie on your own, that you'll consider ringing in the new year with Extraplasm and with Ghostbusters 2. And like I said, if you're uh, tuning in, there'll probably be some pretty cool information for you to find out about how you can potentially score yourself a Ghostbusters Frozen Empire poster or some other cool swag. Um, so uh, there's one final thing we need to do before we get into the commentary, and it'll be pretty short this week because re realistically, it's only been a few days since we had our last episode. But we do need to talk about it because a couple things have happened. So uh, let's recap just a few. Ghostbusters headlines. 
still making headlines all across the country, the Ghostbusters are at it again. Today, the entire eastern seaboard is alive with talk of incidents of paranormal activity. Call in topic today, ghosts and ghostbusting. Extraplasm, read all about it. Ghostbusters headlines coming at you. In Ghostbusters Frozen Empire news, if you like posters, well then boy howdy has Ghost Corps got you covered. Uh, since our last episode on Tuesday, we've all gotten a reveal of not one, not two, but three different new poster designs for Ghostbusters Frozen Empire that depict up to eight Ghostbusters standing around the Ecto-1, ready to do battle with our new big bad ghost. And in at least two of those posters, we also get to see Slimer off in the background, as well as what appears to be a ghost who doesn't look all that dissimilar from the original Subway ghost from the first Ghostbusters film. Although I'm not really sure that's what it is. It just kind of looks that way. Uh, if by some chance you have completely missed these images or you have been under a rock, uh, head over to Ghostbusters News before you start the commentary and take a look, because these are some really awesome new images that set up a sense of magnitude in this new Ghostbusters movie. Like, I can't remember the last time, if ever, there's I've seen eight different Ghostbusters all in flight suits uh, be ready to do battle in a movie. To be fair, it's probably happened in a crossover in a comic or something, but um, to see this kind of set up as the magnitude of what we're going to see is you know, potentially eight to a dozen Ghostbusters because there's enough people to make that happen if we wanted to. Uh, you know, this is going to be very, very, very interesting. I think it's going to be exciting to, you know, not only be back in New York and be with our Spengler family again and see some of the old guard that we appreciate and love, but to see all of these new faces and all of these like people who are going to come together for what seems to be potentially the biggest battle the Ghostbusters have ever had against the big bad. So um, I'm very excited about this movie, but these posters really got me thinking and got my wheels turning a bit about, you know, what is going to be the plot of this movie, given that they've kind of revealed to us in poster form that pretty much you know, at least there's like two full teams of Ghostbusters, if you think about it, um, and you're counting four and four. So, uh, you know, it's kind of exciting, kind of cool. Um, if you haven't seen the posters yet, go hop on over to Ghostbusters News really quick and easily to, to find them. Although I'll say this, if you open social media, they are everywhere, <laughs> in part because I know I got a blast via Instagram from the Ghostbusters account, uh, sort of marketing out to its entire audience saying here download an image of the poster do what you want with it and post it wherever you want which was kind of cool so uh if you haven't seen them already go take a look at those in additional frozen empire news we discussed the empire magazine digital article uh from the last episode but since then the print version of empire magazine for february has landed on newsstands because of course magazines are always out like a month before they're supposed to be if you're wondering how that works for those of us who remember magazines remember those the print things that you would buy on a newsstand at a barnes and noble or something they still exist and in that february 2024 issue it's been sort of revealed that there's a new additional photo of the uh, spangler family performers between takes which is kind of fun to look at as well as some additional commentary from gil kennan now, this is stuff that was not in the last article that Empire put up, uh, and Kennan explains in this one with, with regards to the Spangler family and what they're doing. He says, uh, quote, we see them step up to the challenge of ghostbusting as a family in a completely new context and on a much larger canvas, and additionally adds that in ways big and small, the new setting drives the story and our characters. And while we commented last episode on his sentiments of joy in directing characters from his childhood... Uh, you know, sort of being able to look at Bill Murray and give him direction was probably very exciting to him. Uh, he also explained that at this point with being in post-production, uh, he's kind of hit a point of being uh, 
uh, you know, in his favorite part of the process, saying that every day I see new bits of animation and hear new bits of music. I'd be lying if I didn't say this. My favorite part of the process. You watch all the seeds that you planted started to flower. Uh, so, you know, this is a fun continuation of what we saw already from the Empire article the other day. If you want to take a look at this content or if you want to see the photo without having to run out to go find the newsstand near you, hop over to Ghostbusters News. Jason does have the image as well as the snippets of the uh, portions of the conversation that Gil has. But I mean, if I were you, like I would be going out and picking up this print copy. If, if you're like me, you need to collect everything that goes with a movie. So you need a print copy so that we can put it in your collection. And if you're certainly like me, you need that so you can have somebody sign it later, like, you know, presumably Gil Kennan. Um, so take, take, take a look at that uh, article if you haven't seen it already. It is out there. And it's really great that like we are out of all of these strikes and things that were happening throughout a big portion of this year that meant that no one could talk about this thing. Uh, and that now we're getting a lot of coverage as we get closer and closer. If you really get down to it, we are like less than almost almost less than three months away. By the time you get through the Christmas season and you are into the final week of the year, you'll be less than three months from Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. In other official Ghostbusters media news, if you haven't seen it already, the Ghostbusters holiday Yule Log video has been posted to YouTube. And this year's Yule Log is an animated cartoon format and features Slimer. Uh, He appears to be reading Tobin's Spirit Guide in front of a fire. There are symmetrically stacked books. Uh, there's a terror dog head mounted on the fireplace, a crew photo from the wrap day of Frozen Empire on the wall, and a bunch of other fun Easter eggs for you to find as you watch it, because this thing runs on a whopping six hour loop. Um, so if you really want to sit down and take a look at what's in it, there's a lot of different stuff going on that kind of transpires. I, I don't think that it's a different thing for six hours. And to be fair, I haven't watched all six hours of it, but I do think that it loops uh, for six hours, but there's some fun stuff there, some good Easter eggs, etc. And it's a fun little holiday thing to celebrate. Um, I love that although we don't have another Christmas special yet, I'm calling for it. Come on, let's get it, Ghost Core. You, we can do it. Another holiday special. It can be non-denominational. It doesn't have to be Christmas. Um, but in the meantime, you can check out the Yule Log as the closest thing to an animated Ghostbusters special other than the one you have from 1989 uh, or 1987. What year was it when we did that? I forget. Uh, and the final piece of somewhat official Ghostbusters related news for the week to know about is that there's a 26 minute Q&A panel that McKenna Grace did at Steel City Con that's now available to check out on YouTube. Uh, though I'm going to tell you that you should hop over to Ghostbusters News to find it quickly and easily rather than try to dig through YouTube and like search for Steel City Con and find it. I, I didn't find it that quickly that way, but I did find it on Ghostbusters News very easily. Uh, in it, McKenna talks about her audition and filming process for Afterlife quite a bit. And while Jason has pulled out some of the most pertinent quotes in his write-up, the 26 minutes is worth your time to see McKenna talk about being a Ghostbuster and see the sheer joy it puts on her face. Uh, there's no coverage of Frozen Empire in it because she's obviously under NDA about that still. But she did confirm that she had just wrapped on reshoots at midnight the night before. And so the the thing that I had sort of talked about was that it seemed like it was likely that, you know, she'd kind of left the set and gone straight to Steel City Con was probably true, uh, given that she was talking about finishing wrapping on the reshoots in Atlanta at midnight and then being in front of this crowd doing the um you know, Q and a the, the next day, which also is a testament to just how much energy McKenna Grace has. It's pretty amazing. Uh, so again, if you want to check that out, I would recommend just hopping over to Ghostbusters news to get it. 
And before I forget to mention it, the one piece of merch news I want to just make sure I hammer home and let you know about in case you forgot. I did talk about this the other day on the previous episode, but uh, Tony Taylor of Phantasm Toys is obviously on this week's episode joining us to talk about uh, Scrooge. I want you to know that he will be just as relevant next week uh, for New Year's Eve, although he won't be on the Ghostbusters 2 commentary because he and Brendan Pierce of Phantasm Toys are launching their next pre-order at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve Eastern. And if you had to guess what it might be, well, of course, it's for their Viggy figures uh, that we discussed last episode. These are pink, sparkly, translucent resin heads of Vigo that resemble his demonic floating head form from near the end of Ghostbusters 2. Um, very cool stuff. These have been something they've had around and were in the works for a while. Uh, that is kind of a really fun project, I have to say. Uh, and even though, like, you know, you don't see Vigo as a giant floating head for all that long in the movie, you know, it's iconic. It's something that you have to have. It's really great. Uh, so go and check those out at phantasmtoys.com after midnight on New Year's Eve. So meaning uh, the start of New Year's Day, uh, they'll be available for pre-order then. OK, so we're caught up on our brief little run of headlines and filling in from what, from what we talked about already from the last episode on Tuesday. And you've heard a bit about what we're doing for New Year's Eve that I hope you'll participate in either by checking out the commentary or popping into the live premiere on YouTube or getting involved in the charity effort that I'm going to announce in it. So uh, let's turn now to celebrating this week's holiday with Tony Taylor and Jason Fitzsimmons as we dig into the classic Bill Murray Christmas film, Scrooged. Happy holidays from Extraplasm Podcast, and joining me for a very special holiday episode where we're going to take a look at a classic Bill Murray Christmas hit, Jason Fitzsimmons of Ghostbusters News and Tony Taylor of Phantasm Toys. Tony, how are you doing? Doing awesome, man. I'm excited to be here and talk about the classic Scrooge, which I just found out recently is based on the Charles Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol. I had no idea. <laughs> you just discovered this just recently? <laughs> no, I'm just me- I'm just messing around, but <laughs> No, it's great. It's always great to be here, Jim. I'm just a big fan and excited to talk with you and and watch one of my favorite uh Christmas classics with you. I would say that if you had thought that, you know, this that you had no knowledge that this was a Scrooge adaptation before, I would have wondered what how you received Xmas marks the spot the real Ghostbusters episode, <laughs> you know, which is also based off of the Charles Dickens classic. But of course, treats it as if it's factual reality. You know, sort of <laughs> something I discussed with Chris Stewart last holiday season was this idea that that animated show like acts as if those are historical events, and thus once they didn't happen, it changes the future, which makes no sense because it's all made up. But, um, that, but I, yeah, I would wonder how you took to that if you really thought that these things were not based off of narrative fiction before, <laughs> you know. So, um, I'm glad to be able to provide you with a history lesson if that's you know in in real in real life format as we take a look at this this week. But no, thank you for coming on the show again, and uh, it's always fun to have you here, Jason. How are you doing as we uh, kind of are getting into the deep into the holiday season? Uh, I'm I'm doing well. I mean, I'm, I'm feeling festive. Um, the stockings they are hung, and yeah, much like Tony here, uh, I'm excited to kind of revisit Scrooge. I mean, it's it's one I try and watch every single year, and this is actually the my first time this year, so yeah, I'm jazzed to watch it. Yeah, and you are looking very festive, although this is an audio-based podcast. You are the only person here ah. who's wearing a Ghostbusters Christmas sweater, 
Um, and thus you win the festive holiday party Christmas award. Like if we mm-hmm. had one of those, we should start a holiday sweater contest in the future, perhaps. And then we can all wear them. But I did not. So you well, win. I mean, the Ghostbusters franchise is pretty slim pickings when it comes to, you know, holiday sweaters. So really, <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a pretty good chance that at least one of us were going to be or at least two of us were going to be matching. So uh, be kind of hard to hard to judge that one. Hey, to be fair, we did get an expansion, though, of uh, newer holiday sweaters from Ripple Junction this holiday season. Yeah, which, I mean, they're you know. they're great. But can you really consider them Christmassy? I mean, they're like everyday sweaters. You know, there's no garland. There's no bulbs, anything like that. Uh, you got Stay Puffed on one, the no-go logo. I mean, I love the design, but uh, those are those are just sweaters. You know, those are cold weather sweaters, not really holiday sweaters. You speak as if there are no Michael stores in within Canada to just go and grab all of these things and just add them to that sweater and then just go <laughs> nuts. That's clear. Like every Ghostbusters thing that exists out there, whether it's a HasLab pack, whether it's a proton pack wand, like you can just take it and modify it. So why not the sweater? There you go. Like add your own lights. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I'm very excited to have you on the podcast, both of you, because I always enjoy talking with you both. And I think you always have a lot of fun to say, uh, fun stuff to say and, you know, things to contribute. And of course, you've been excellent participants in the afterlife commentary we did for episode 46. So when I got to the holiday season and said, who can we have on to come back and kind of talk about another movie that involved ghosts and Bill Murray um, and spooky things. Uh, why not have two of the folks who were great contributors to that podcast episode? So welcome back and thanks for being here as we kind of dig into Scrooged. And I want to ask you a bit, like, what is your relationship before we get into this movie? What's your relationship with this movie? Like, is it one that you come back to regularly? Is it one that you haven't seen in a while? I mean, because I know for me, like I, I did not used to love this movie, I think, as much as I do now, like in, as I've gotten older. I think I've grown and like Christmas is kind of in a way for me, it's lost its magic. I don't have kids. And so it's like Mm -hmm. for me, I look at Christmas now and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a lot of stuff. And maybe I won't put the lights up on the house this year because the only person who's going to care about him is me. Um, And so I don't know, like for me, Scrooge has become something that is a good heartwarming reminder in a kind of cynical sense. But what's your relationship with the movie and kind of how you come at it? Uh, I mean, for me, um, I would say as a child watching it, I was petrified mainly of uh, the, the final ghost uh, in the movie that that's one that like really stuck to me. Like there, there are certain movies growing up on uh, Scrooge killer clowns from outer space. Uh, there's like certain visuals that just, they stick with me. The first thing I think of is that. And to me, it's that, you know, the final ghost that visits him. Um, yeah. The, what is it? The ghost of Christmas future. Future. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it petrified me as a kid. Like when he opens up, like the cloth and you see like all like the little, I don't even know what they are, like little demon heads, like souls, like stuck in them, almost like Freddy <laughs> Krueger style. Um, yeah, it, just, just uncomfortable. But uh, no, as a kid, I loved it. I mean, I always thought of this as like a weird, almost like soft follow up to Ghostbusters 2, even though that doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's in New York. Bill Murray, he's wearing a suit. Uh, you know, him and Dana split. Now he's got this new love interest that came back into his life. Uh, yeah, it, it's not a, you know, sequel to Ghostbusters 2, but we we, we can make that work, right? It's, it's yeah, I mean, and, what's, and it's actually produced before Ghostbusters 2, if you think about it, like when it came out, True. it came out in 88 and the movie and Ghostbusters 2 comes out in 89. And it's a movie that most people, I think, don't remember this necessarily. In fact, I said recently, this is like peak Bill Murray, but the reality is that this is the comeback movie for Bill, for Bill Murray, right? He was um, 
he had done Ghostbusters. He then kind of did the razor's edge. The razor's edge didn't pop so well with critics or with anybody. And that's the point where he was like, I don't know that I can deal with my particular fame. It's happening in my life and what's happening. And I need to get out of here and just kind of took off for like four years and disappeared to, you know, get an 800 number and no longer be available via agents. And he had apparently been asked to do this movie years prior, like two years beforehand and turned it down. Didn't think that it was good enough and didn't want to touch it and stayed off the scene doing major films and then came back. But I, it's kind of funny. You remember it that way of like being it a sequel to Ghostbusters two in some way, because I do too, as a kid, like, I don't think I saw this as often until maybe the nineties, you know, where I think I had more interactions with it. Um, because it is a darker and spookier film, you know, and so I think it's something I didn't see when it first came out probably as a kid, but, um, Tony, what, what would you say? What's your relationship with Scrooge? I too, I don't think I really saw this until after I had seen Ghostbusters two. I think the first time I probably saw it was probably when it like had to have aired on TV as the movie of the week or whenever it would have aired on television. But I remember this movie scaring the hell out of me as a kid and i had seen ghostbusters and all kinds of other things ghostbusters one ghostbusters two and i don't i don't remember them really scaring me at all but this movie actually i do remember being really scared i think because it kind of lured me in with the comfort of bill murray as a kid with the ghostbusters Mm -hmm. relationship and then there was some really scary parts that because they're more of a shock in this movie it's not like you should really be expecting it to be as gruesome and horrific as some of the ghosts appear in this movie but (laughs) it is something that i watch every year it's one of my holiday favorites it sits right up there with uh christmas vacation those two are a yearly watch every season so i'm excited to do with you guys and talk about it yeah i'm i'm really stoked to watch it together i you just made me think of something which is i think that christmas vacation is a movie that has become sort of commercially beloved like not just beyond fandom, but also by merchandisers. Like there's a different Christmas vacation ornament at Hallmark, like every single year. Yeah. Right. And like, there's a new Clark Griswold, like every year you can get for your tree. There's a new family truckster, whatever it is. I don't think anybody's ever done a Scrooge ornament. Like nobody's ever been like, Hey, let's produce like Carol Kane's ball, you know, demented ballerina. And I now want that. Like I so badly want that for my tree that I don't think until just now I thought of it because you just kind of made this comparison, but um, you do make things. I'm just gonna throw that out there for you. If you want to, you know, make a, a line of Scrooge inspired Christmas ornaments, I would buy those. <laughs> nice. That's not a bad idea, though. I'd love to do. There's some really cool stuff in this movie that could totally be more than an ornament. I mean, the ghost of uh, Christmas future, s- mm-hmm. super scary, and yeah. Uh, even even I. Oh man, there's just so much. I can't wait to watch it. I don't want to spoil any of my ideas I, I might have before. I mean, the movie. it also does have a taxi cab ghost, right? So yeah, it does. Yeah. Yes. Who it does. also, you know, as we'll talk about and this, uh, you know, commentary, I'm sure has his own whole pop cultural background that like, <laughs> you know, he, he's, he's Buster Poindexter. So um, we're going to talk about this throughout this episode. There's a lot of different great things about this movie that, um, you know, I think that it is not as necessarily beloved as perhaps Christmas Vacation, and it's not perhaps as commercially successful or monetized or marketed. But to me, you know, Christmas Vacation is a fantastic movie and I love it. And by no means I quote it all the time every holiday season. But this is the one that I sit down and actually kind of have an emotional moment with at the end. And I don't know if it's because by the end of it, Bill Murray seems to be having 
a bit of a nervous breakdown in the yeah. <laughs> last few moments of this movie. Something that I the writers of this film legitimately thought was happening on set. They were like, is he like having a manic episode at the end of the movie? And in contrast to that, Richard Donner said that that was the moment where Bill Murray actually revealed that he could act. That was where he became an actor in front of Richard Donner, which is, I'm not sure if that's that great of a compliment for the whole movie, but in terms of what outdoor relationship was. Uh, but I'm really excited to dig into it and get into it. Uh, so let's set this up for folks who are watching at home. We are watching this, I believe, on Amazon streaming, but you can be watching this however you're watching it. We are set up literally right before the Paramount logo begins to spin its stars. Uh, so if you're on Amazon, you can just back up to the beginning of the track on Amazon Prime because it is available for free at the time of this recording, but may not be in a few weeks. Uh, if you're listening and trying to figure out where to get it, you can also get it on Paramount Plus in the U.S., uh, as well as pretty much anywhere else that rents it. Uh, you can pretty much find it for less than six or seven dollars uh, to grab it. And as we learn together tonight, just because it's on Amazon Prime in the United States doesn't mean it is in Canada. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, Jason, yeah, anything I, you want to uh... say about weigh in about that? <laughs> Well, I, I, I hope that uh, my six ninety nine. I mean, you're going to cover that, right? Like that. That was right, right. Like I had, it was six ninety nine is squirrel money, right? So I just need to it send you some acorns or something, and then you pound them into new dollars. Is that how squirrel money works? Up squirrel there, right? money. I mean, we're in Canada. It's all about the beaver up here. We love the beaver. <laughs> oh, we're doing entendres now. No, 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 no I'm not. No, seriously, you've been to Canada. As I have soon as not. you cross the border, all gift shops are beaver and maple syrup. I'm legit. Okay. That's all it is. I thought you had squirrels on your money. So, you know. well, we probably do. I mean, we got old ladies, old men. Hey, you guys too, too. <laughs> we have old people. Our, That's... Ours is like Monopoly. I mean, we got multicolors. So you can get like, you know, red, do red bills and green bills, blue bills. We got it all. That's awesome. I want that. Let's, let's do that. All right. Let's uh, get into Scrooge, everybody. We're going to count down. We are uh, going to hit play in. A brief five, four, three, two, one, and play. And uh, if you're like me, you're now listening to the dulcet tones of the beginning of this soundtrack, which is presented to us by Danny Elfman. And, um, yeah, let's get into it. Let's go. The, uh, the the Danny Elfman track. I mean, like listening to this right at the beginning. Um, I'm just totally drawn in because I'm thinking of Batman Returns. Yeah, it oh, does yeah. sound like that, that. Yeah, like that's exactly what it kind of reminds me of is that that Batman Returns, you know, Penguin gets thrown down into the uh, the water, the ravine there. And yeah, same vibes. Yeah. Um, Danny Elfman has commented that this film, uh, while not necessarily the biggest commercial success that he worked on was quite influential in the rest of the works that he did. And if you think about the number of other movies he did that happened at Christmas time, including Batman Returns and obviously A Nightmare Before Christmas, like this is kind of the beginning of an arc of movies that he does at Christmas time that are spooky. <laughs> so this is great. <laughs> and I'm just thinking like, I'm glad as a kid that they were like, hey, this is a TV show because if this was like what I thought elves were supposed to look like as a kid, I, I, yeah, I'd have been frightened. <laughs> <laughs> and I swear, every time I watch this movie, I almost forget about this at the beginning. And I'm like, am I watching the white, the, the right thing here? Or, and then it hits me. Oh yeah, that's right. The $6 million man's coming. All right. <laughs> and this is one of those moments where you can love this and appreciate it. But I think that the cultural reference gets lost on anybody who's any older or younger than us. 
Because they're like, who's yeah. Lee Majors? What? <laughs> yeah, certainly didn't age the best, but. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Santa who's going to go out through the front door only. <laughs> like, what? Just. Yeah. Santa's a badass. Is and it's kind of wild that this has got this sort of almost Paul Verhoeven RoboCop kind of feel to it in terms of how it spoofs the media. But it's, it's yeah, a little it's, more lighthearted than that, you know? It's very meta before people were doing meta things. So this is one of the reasons why I love this movie so much. And the fact that I mean they opened the film up with that too. Yes. Ah, uh, Robert Goulet. I know like we're here to talk about Scrooge and I've already like talked about Batman Returns, but uh, can I just also say that I love Robert Goulet and Beetlejuice? <laughs> <laughs> like to me, whenever I see him, I don't think of his music. I don't think of anything else. I just think of him as, you know, Maxi Dean from Beetlejuice. So. Speaking of I dated references. Whole- <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, see, he must be Canadian. There you go. They're not. That's not a dirty joke. He's just Canadian. Yeah. But again, like this, this whole scene feels very kind of RoboCop boardroom to me, you know, but but turned kind of comedy. (laughs) I bet Bill Murray does that in real life. (laughs) One of the things he did say about this movie and talking with the media in the 80s uh, was that the best part about the movie was his ability, like his opportunity to play a really bad person. Like that, and then to kind of show redemption from it, but that that was sort of the fun in it was the ability to play somebody who was just really malevolently bad. If Tim Burton had directed this, that would have been Alfred. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been awesome. (laughs) But I'm so glad they got the trailer voice guy to do all this. It makes it seem so real. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So some of my favorite things about this movie, like are this discussion about how much they're doing the focus on a Scrooge thing. Like this is the thing that makes or breaks this network this season. Apparently, is how successful this ridiculous Scrooge episode, like thing they're doing, or special is, and how it's going to steal market away from all the other networks. And it's such an '80s kind of contrived thing of like, there's only a few networks, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be clear about this. $40 million on a live TV show today would be spending $102 million on a Christmas special. (laughs) In contrast, Ghostbusters Afterlife cost, what, $30 million to produce an entire theatrical production that's two hours long? Yeah, it's, uh, (laughs) you know, I never really sat and kind of thought about the financials on that side but yeah that's like just <laughs> right, such an insane, insane concept like what Holy. they're discussing is nuts <laughs> i do love the the idea though that in this film they make it seem like you know the the majority pretty much the entire board is hey we're nice we want everything that's good and bill's like the only one that's actually like the evil mean spirited right and then and then now when you look at like any film that would be done 
you know, in this style, uh, it, it's pretty much it'd be like flipped aside, right? You've got like the boardroom that is just all evil. And then you have like that one person and that's the person we're going to follow. That's the good guy. But for this, yeah, it just kind of flips you. <laughs> right. <laughs> and everybody recognizes the blonde, right? No. No? Isn't that no. the mom from Ghostbusters 2 hosting the birthday that, party? Oh my god. You might be right, right about that. I, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure. sure it is. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, so, whenever I see Bobcat Goldthwaite, I mean, he just kind of commands my attention, so I never really noticed. Jason, is this what you guys think American news media looks like? <laughs> well, I mean, luckily nowadays with the internet, I mean, we can just go onto a VPN and see all the craziness that's happening down there. But uh, yeah, beforehand, totally. <laughs> it's so, so dark, but it's also yeah. like, it's so insanely close to some of the things that you now see in media today where it's just like, here, here's a vast fear appeal about how you need to tune in at 11 because your child's life might depend on it. Like. <laughs> 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 These guys are all trying to like get out of the room, <laughs> trying to breathe. <laughs> now look at her. That's her. Yeah, that's totally her. Uh, Bobcat Goldthwait. Oh yeah. Now my experience with him before this movie as a kid. Mm -hmm. was entirely like watching him as Zed in Police Academy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the yeah, first time same. I saw this movie and it was like, well, did wow, Zed got cleaned up. Because <laughs> <Like, laughs> he has all the same affects, you know. He's kind of doing like almost like a Lewis Tully crossbred with like Sweet Chuck vibe from Police yeah. Academy. Like that's yeah. kind of what I get off him on this. Yes. And throughout this movie, I tend to think of him as almost like the de facto Lewis Tully of this mo of this movie, like his, his plot mm. goes on, you know, we're going to see later on after he's drunk, like he gets hit by a giant puddle and it's just <laughs> his, his situation just as very like Lewis Tully getting locked out of his apartment over and over again vibes, you know, he's possessed with anger. <laughs> <laughs> I did like though, when, uh, bobcat was on a kind of a hot spurt there and then he made like hot to trot anybody ever watch that hot to trot hot to trot yeah i don't think oh, so man i don't recall much about that but i do have seen he it. he gets uh a, a a horse and the horse is voiced by john candy and i mean that's really all i can remember like i know um gilbert godfrey's in it as well but yeah it's just john candy playing a horse and bobcat goldthwaite is taking care of it so <laughs> If you've not watched it, I'm sure it's it's likely on no streaming services. <laughs> How many fingers does this Santa Claus have? <laughs> Eleven. I love it. Like there's he's taking the time to count. That much detail went into that. <laughs> A nice Russian vodka and tab. Yeah, there's there's a very 80s reference. Anything has tab in it. I love how ridiculous this is where they try to make it seem like he's looking through the telescope at the person he just fired 
down on the street where there's no look look at that angle there's no way he can see poor bobcat down there <laughs> this just adds to the whole ethos so that she's like she she just calls downstairs and says his name and then says code nine like there's yep. this designated thing that he's set up to just implement how to get rid of somebody immediately and then he gets a drink and runs to the telescope to go watch them suffer like it's <laughs> it really does add to how evil he is in the moment <laughs> it's it kind of makes you wonder like is this the alternate version of peter venkman like if he hadn't gone into ghost busting and instead he went into finance or something and somehow ended up a media producer what if the what if uh his world of the psychic had been a giant hit and well he, I, was, I was thinking that like you know, if vigo propelled. never came back this is just what happened you know Mm-hmm. Big big hit, uh, save the network, and then yeah, <laughs> just kind of did his own thing. This is Peter Venkman. If Dana Barrett wouldn't have lost Oscar Stroller in the middle of the street, because that's <laughs> what starts everything. If that never happened, this is Peter Venkman. He's been secretly like just harboring. Ah, it's my fault. I wasn't there, and now this is his redemption arc. This is another reference in this movie that makes this hard to understand for kids today. It's like, who's Mary, Mary Lou Retton? Who's, who even is that? <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, he was, I mean, a very successful gymnast. <laughs> so this is funny. It always makes This me is laugh. now real. Like now yeah. we actually have TV for cats. And at the time that this came out, it wouldn't have worked because interlaced TVs based off of like CRT tubes, cats and dogs couldn't see, but they can see flat panels, which is why your cat loves to like mess with your phone when you put stuff on it. But if you put that on a television screen years ago, a cat would have been like, I don't know what that is. Cause all I saw was the lines and the lights. The scientists are right. <laughs> <laughs> and some of you out there who have cats you have the scratches on your screens to prove it that, that this is a scientifically sound thing now i love how it's not instant like they're gonna have to actually like slowly break the cats into it 20 year span <laughs> cats don't even live 20 years typically <laughs> right they're just like we'll add in birds a squirrel we'll add in like a couple little things here and there gets cats and involved and They'll be watching with their viewers or their, their owners. It'll be fine. (laughs) 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 And it's still crazy. Like this is literally them deciding to spend even more money on this Scrooge special as if a hundred million dollars an hour money is worth out competing. Whatever. Like what are the other networks doing in this universe? What like what else is going on on television in 1988 in this universe that they have to spend this much money to outcompete their competitors on a night when like let's be real like Christmas Eve is not a night when lots of people turned in for like live television was it? No, and I mean from just like what you can see of the set, Crap. I mean how much are they paying Mary Lou Retton? Because yeah, I, I, I've never I've never, you know, produced a television show or film or anything. But let me tell you, I, I don't think that much money is, is going into set design and everything. So, uh, yeah, how much are they paying these people? 
I love now he's going to go upstairs because he's just met Bryce Preston or whatever his name, not Preston, Bryce, whatever his name is. I forget. Um, it's Clamp from <laughs> Bryce Cummings. Right. He's like a, an actor who you like see in this and like in WB productions in the DC universe or something. And um, I love that he immediately identifies me. He's like, I don't know. He's from Los Angeles. He's terrible. <laughs> like, it's just. <laughs> he's he's just lined up already he's he's bright he's sunny he's here to consult and he's like we gotta get rid of him <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those moments where bill murray <laughs> says consistently about this movie that his frustration with richard donner is that he didn't feel richard donner understood comedy and the writers said the same thing and he said it in like Starlog and to vulture magazine a bunch of different places but he said that what Richard Donner wanted repeatedly was loud. And he talked mm -hmm. about this in an interview with Roger Ebert. Um, he sat down with Ebert and he, Ebert had given the movie a one star review. And so when he talked to him before quick change, he kind of was like, what's with the one star review? <laughs> I didn't think the movie was that <laughs> bad. Um, and Roger Ebert was like, I kind of hoped it didn't come up. Um, and we would just have, <laughs> not talk about it. But he had this open conversation where he said that Donner just wanted him to repeatedly be louder and louder and louder. And that any attempt at <laughs> subtlety to comedy was like a rejected. And so the loudest takes are the ones we got. And I firmly believe that that is one of those moments where he is just screaming at Grace in her face. <laughs> just irrationally <laughs> is one of those moments where there were probably at least 25 different Bill Murray interpretations of that that were different. Got our first Murray brother. That's right. Appearance. They actually yeah. are brothers. This, yeah. This is Which John one is Murray. This? John? John? Yeah. And we just missed Paul Schaefer and... Yes. Walking by in the background. Yeah. This movie's full of just peak 80s nostalgia actors and... <laughs> This is like one of the biggest <laughs> asshole things he does in the entire movie. He flips her off. <laughs> Especially because you would imagine if he was an executive of this caliber, wouldn't he just have like a private car? Like the whole notion that he even goes, needs to go get a cab and then steal it from somebody else is kind of wild. And then he goes to the great, what is it? Like the great humanitarian award. Yeah, he's flicking the little kid on the statue. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, like, of all the interpretations of Scrooge I've ever seen, like, that's not his name in this, but it's who he represents, right? It's yeah. kind of the funniest. This is great, though. This is where it really begins to spiral. <laughs> 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 it's so great like even the things he shouts they're so like just milk toast you big dog you like they do such a great job with <laughs> they do such a great job though like he's like on screen for a while like up to this point like minute and a half two minutes maybe and like yeah. you already know like his entire story like you're you're already invested you know right uh yeah, like it's yep. such a great job they did with him. Which I guess kind of works for Bobcat. I mean, you know, if the direction is to go loud, 
you really can't get any louder in the 80s than Bobcat Goldthwait. <laughs> no, agreed. He was very loud. But what's interesting is that he was not the first pick for that character. Um, he, the oh, person yeah. who lost out for that role is Sam Kinison, mm-hmm. who would have been far louder as a comedian. That would have been <laughs> crazy. Mean, Kinison was just, that's his whole gimmick, was he went out on stage and screamed, ow, ow, over and over again. And it was kind of his bit, you know, so... And I think for Kinnison, it probably would have been an interesting take, too, because Kinnison came from a background of um, like leaving religion. Like he had been a minister, I think, or a reverend before he kind of found comedy. And so for him to be involved in a Christmas movie probably would have had um, maybe a little more weight or, you know, spiritual engagement to it or something. But I don't know. You never you'll never really know. Sam Kinnison, of course, uh, left us far too soon uh, after um, uh, some serious issues with drugs and alcohol and um, driving. So that was dark. Sorry, everybody. Yeah, I brought, that, got I brought the whole commentary down. <laughs> As Frank here is about to enjoy a nice uh, alcoholic beverage, you know, it's, it's okay. Yes. But his whole situation is about to change. This office is closed. That'll work. <laughs> yeah, I remember this scaring the crap out of me as a kid. The punching at the door and. To me, it was it was not so much like the ghost or the explosion. It's like it, things get pretty nasty, like pretty, pretty gnarly here when it comes to like, you know, things crawling out of the back of his skull. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about this, that like one of the key things I think that differentiates this from Ghostbusters is that all of our ghosts are very corporeal in this. Mm-hmm. Right. They, mm-hmm. they are not like. Like he's trying to shoot this and there's dust coming off of it because, you know, they're not spirits in the sense that they float around. And later on, we will see this like the car that they're in when the cab driver, they will go through another car. And you'll go, How does that work? <laughs> but yeah, this is pretty creepy. Yeah, they're more. They're more Beetlejuice esque. Yeah. Than they are Ghostbusters type ghosts. And this is it's very so Looney Tunes, though. but I, mean, I love it. The great, though. <laughs> amazing special effects. Like, still to this day. Like, yeah. all this being practical, it looks amazing. You get some real close-ups on him, too, and it looks great. Yeah. <laughs> I think that the uh, the the makeup work here is great and the costuming is great, but it's also just kind of like I love these glasses. Like I wanted to, with like they were just a great way to not have to deal with his eyes. They're like, how do we deal with this? Like just throw giant aviator glasses on him and make him look like he's out being at the golf course. Like, but but that's the thing though. They do show the eyes, and it's like that really kind of creepy reveal. Like when it yes. does happen, mm-hmm. right? I mean, had had you saw that like right from the start like that would be all you'd be like looking at the entire time right. he's on screen no agreed and so it's like this great way of like setting up the reveal yeah. and making it spooky you know there it is Yeah. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> you're the man who invented the miniseries. That is one great advantage, though, with like, you know, doing the adaptation of like the Dickens and such like that is, you know, unlike Ghostbusters, where it had to do that progression to build and build and build before you got to the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, just so, you know, you had to, you could buy it. Um, this pretty much goes all in from like that very first ghost. Like, yes, the formula is pretty much there. The fact that he is second guessing it, you know, did I drink too much? Was it a dream? What was it? Um, yeah, just it allows him just to go, you know, bat shit off the wall right from that get go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's there's Pretty not simple. like what's interesting to think about is like, although you could like, argue that, even that looks like, amazing still. You could argue the ghost of Christmas future is like kind of the spookiest and scariest ghost, right? Yeah. But there's not like this builds to a big bad like and that's, you know, by by the kind of virtues of the, the Dickens story, it's constrained to what it can do and doesn't do. But it's like you don't get to like a, a pivotal villain who's going to be no. defeated because the ultimate villain here is, in fact, cross. Right. Like that the, is he's, so he is actually the bad guy who has to defeat himself in order to progress and have us end this story. And so it's kind of interesting that each of these ghosts gets to have this equal weight, you know. <laughs> Close-ups of Bill Murray in 4K, man. Let me tell you. There's something yeah. else. <laughs> <laughs> really. <laughs> tell you a lot about Bill. <laughs> mm-hmm. You kind of get the sense of why she calls him lumpy throughout the movie. <laughs> oh. That's a bit below the belt. All right, I'm being unfair. What's crazy about this movie is that, like, almost all of it was shot on sound stages over three months. The only parts that weren't where they use the Seagram building uh, in New mm-hmm. York for the exterior shots. But otherwise, like everything else we're seeing, like none of its location shots, it's all on sound stages. It was all like done like in L.A., if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was all in yeah. Los Angeles, all on sound stages. And the nutty part about it is that they began filming on like December 7th. And then Dick Donner was like, can we get Christmas off from the studio? And they were like, no. So they wanted them to shoot through the Christmas holiday. So Richard Donner fired the entire production on December 24th. <laughs> this, yeah. And then he rehired them on December 26th. So that, that way everybody <laughs> could have Christmas off. So everyone who worked on the movie got fired on the same day and everybody who worked on the movie got rehired on the same day because Richard Donner looked at the studio and was like, hey, you know what, guys? Fuck you. <laughs> Like, and I was like, we're going to take Christmas off whether you like it or not. We'll just make sure nobody can work because nobody has a job for one day, um, which is kind of crazy. I feel like those are the kinds of things that don't happen in present day Hollywood. Like they would never fly. Yeah. But like those are the things that happen in the 80s of like Ghostbusters being filmed without permits in New York City, just in rogue ways. And Richard Donner being like, you know what? We're taking Christmas off. Eat shit if you don't like it, you know? <laughs> I mean, his reaction here is pretty bad, but it's not, you know, 
bumping a, an old lady from her cab and then flipping her off right in front of her face. <laughs> I, I still think that takes the, takes the cake there. I think the worst thing he does really is tear a little kid's drawing off of the wall of the office there. That, that's the thing that really makes me hate him in the beginning. <laughs> so this is our first reveal, I think, of like the production of, you know, yes. the screwed show they're working on. Which I would love to see this. Like, I want to see somebody make this as a show that I can watch. <laughs> like just what the finished <laughs> full production would have been before we see him run into it at the end of it. I thought you were referring to the nipples. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to reveal this for you. Cause I, I think that you didn't realize it before and it's been driving me crazy. Uh, the actress who you've identified as both being, you know, the mom at the birthday party, as well as the assistant who walks in in the last scene is named yeah. Mary Ellen trainer. And the other thing she is, is the, the, the Walsh kids, mom and Goonies. Oh my God, you're right. So she has the connective tissue of Goonies, Ghostbusters and Scrooge. (laughs) Like that's in her wheelhouse. Holy crap. All right. So I'm just going to say Karen Ireland in this movie is adorable. I'm just, that's like, as a, as even like as a young, as a young budding, you know, teenager i would look at karen allen and go this is somebody who has a good heart who is a good person who you would hope that you would meet someday in your life so that's not the same person who was like let's put cindy crawford on the ceiling and be weird but it's not a thing i ever did (laughs) just a thing that people do but But then the beauty of her character and i mean just her in general too like uh, well i shouldn't say her in general but (laughs) the the beauty of her character is right from the get-go they just she's the polar opposite of frank yes I mean, greeting with the smile there, uh, being just totally adorable. Yeah. And what's interesting is that they're also polar opposite in terms of like performers, because mm. the struggle they had together, apparently during the filming of this was that he comes in from such an improv improvisation background that he um, was, you know, of course, he's Bill Murray. He's going to break from the script and he's going to kind of go his own way with each take. And she was largely trained for the screen and for stage. So she hadn't really done any improv work. So she was kind of having a hard time following him where he was going in a lot of scenes and a lot of takes, apparently, from what they say in the articles that you know, he's talked about and the writers talked about. But they had worked together, apparently, before, like they had worked on a New England stage, like in a theater, and he felt comfortable and familiar with her because they'd worked together. So. <laughs> this is one of the most messed up scenes in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> this poor guy he feels like he was actually just somebody who was just part of the crew and they picked to film this scene he just seems so (laughs) earnest and like so scared authentic yeah he he really does I don't think we actually talked to him when he was on the screen a couple minutes ago, but uh, yeah, our tiny Tim-esque character in the film. Yeah. There he is. 
who is, of course, Grace's son and who has some sort of we don't ever really find out what it is that he's got going on. He has some sort of trauma he's experienced. I think that we find out later on that he hasn't talked since. But like what his diagnosis is, is kind of ambiguous. Uh, it was the 1980s. I mean, yeah, <laughs> diagnosis. It doesn't, really I mean, <laughs> doesn't, yeah. doesn't really matter. By the end of it, it's over. So it's fine. Sorry. Spoilers, everybody. Here comes one of the corniest, most blatant, like, cut scene to just the business card that's so obvious and, like, so staged and fake looking. It's, (laughs) (laughs) it makes me laugh every time I see it nowadays. Where is he getting bad clams from? It's like, (laughs) here it is. (laughs) It feels so corny and staged. It is pretty. It's in the movie twice like that. They pull it out perfectly positioned towards the camera and slow. (laughs) And you know, it was like placement. No one who was principally involved in filming the movie did that. There was just like somebody who was like, here, hold this up. It almost feels like a Wayne's World spoof. It like, does. That's what you it know, is. They're just like holding up like the Pepsi cans. <laughs> exactly. And the pizza and everything. Product placement. Yeah. <laughs> Again, with just loud. <laughs> that poor guy, too. I'm reminded suddenly of the play that goes wrong uh, if you haven't seen that where that goes on throughout the entire play things fall down and break but now like they were spending 102 million dollars in our money did that look like a set that was worth that to you that, that's what I was saying earlier like I mean the cost I, I just don't see it yeah where is it all going it's got to be in salary right Maybe they're expensing lunches. <laughs> the Pope will bless the Zulu nation. So that maybe that's where the money's going. Because they're going to do the largest baptism ever in the middle of this. Is that what, what we're being told? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's got to get costly, right? Now, that seems to me like something that no contemporary like broadcast network would do that they would be like, mm, that might be bad for us. And we might suddenly be treated like we're the Trinity broadcasting network or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, nowadays. I feel like also at the same time too. Um, I mean, if you're going to have that like sandwiched in between your, your special, uh, I think at one point, maybe that that's kind of the showpiece. Like maybe the special at that point, that's not really the sell, you know? <laughs> right. I love the fact that this guy in Gremlins 2 pretty much plays a Frank Cross character. Right. Like by the time he gets to his next movie, (laughs) he's he's this guy. I mean, to be fair, he is kind of jockeying for Frank's job, right? So he's already kind of this guy just with a different face. (laughs) 
This it's is like one of those like sitcom scenes. YouTube videos of like where they just remove the laugh track. Yeah. <laughs> My lacrosse coach. There's a thing to be uh, be on a team of and reference in a meeting. You would have to say like the nonverbal performances here are pretty good. They're they're pretty great at reacting to his <laughs> like he's not even saying anything. A lot of face <laughs> acting. California health plate. <laughs> it's like, do you order that, Jim? Literally come from California, and the thing is named the California, the California health plate, health. which is somebody who has been a vegetarian eater for a long time. That is a thing. The Californian burger, because it's vegetarian. <laughs> You know what? I've never had a baked Alaska and I've always wanted one. I recall actually at uh, what was it? At Jason Reitman's restaurant uh, when it was open back or not sorry Jason Reitman, Ivan Reitman his restaurant when it was open in Toronto the Montecito uh, they had a baked Alaska on the menu and I was thinking about ordering it and then I just like I was like nah because I saw like a Stay Puft Marshmallow Man themed <laughs> dessert so I went with that instead <laughs> but uh, still have regret. I didn't realize that was the name of that restaurant. Yeah. Because they had the, or they have the Montecito pictures, right? Yeah, Montecito. Mm-hmm. Montecito, um, yeah. So this fall that you just watched. Unscripted. Unscripted. He just slips on the water on the floor. And that's the take they kept. <laughs> he actually got hurt. You know, so this is like, there's, a, there's a, a series of things that happened throughout this movie that actually caused Bill Murray to get hurt. And that he needed some time off from filming. And that arguably are worse than carrying a proton pack. Um. (laughs) (laughs) i love the look of these old cabs though i wish they all still looked like that this is one of those moments though where you can really tell that it's a soundstage right like this is not real streets and you can see it and especially in high definition There he is. Buster <laughs> Poindexter, also of the New York Dolls. Is that his real name, though? No, that's his performing name. Yeah. His real name is David Johansson. Okay. And but he's like a real life, really good buddy with Bill Murray, too, isn't he? I believe so. Yeah. From what I recall reading about it, like, it was pretty much Murray got him the job in this. Yeah. <laughs> but he does a great job oh he's like one of the most memorable characters like from this film and probably like one of the most quotable yeah and if you're in a movie with Bill Murray I mean that's 
seems like a pretty hard task to actually like outshine him in the scenes. Yeah. This effect is very like kind of back to the future ish. The yes. idea of like an odometer that goes back in time as they go back in time and stuff. I like it. And they coincidentally go back to 1955. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. That's the Back to the Future Christmas crossover we never got, right? It's like (laughs) this moment when they go back in time and when Doc and Marty go back in time. That's very Cheech and Chong. It's also interesting (laughs) that he has like elf ears. Like as a ghost, he looks more like a Christmas elf who's demented. I've always kind of thought of him as like demon ears. What's the separation between those two things, really? (laughs) (laughs) And this is, I think, where we find out that his dad is like a meat salesman, right? Isn't that what's on the back of the the car? Cross cross meats. This is funny, though. (laughs) (laughs) Again, as Tony said earlier, like, uh, well, maybe not so much there, but for the most part, uh, the special effects, like, they really hold up in this film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's little Frank. And so you get the sense that he loved television as a child. And it's like now it's his evil thing that he kind of just. <laughs> is exacting onto the world, which is interesting as a concept. We get our second Murray brother. Appearance yep. Here's Brian Doyle Murray. What was his name in the video game? Mayor what? Oh, I don't Brian Doyle. In the Ghostbusters video game, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because he's the mayor. Has he ever been young? (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to think about whether or not I've ever seen him in any other role where he's been like completely without uh, facial hair. Mm -hmm. He's always got at least a mustache, yeah. Where was she going? Do we ever find <laughs> that out? Like where she went? Went and got the milk, never came back. <laughs> I can't do another Christmas. I mean, she Earl. must have came back because she has a brother. That's where they point. It's like, a- oh no, she just they, she, she 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 just mailed him. It's fine. Um, <laughs> But uh, to answer your question, Tony, Jock Mulligan, Mayor Mulligan. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
This is interesting where he's like coming up with all these things that he's allegedly done that are all from movies and from TV shows. So you have to wonder, what was he doing? Just watching television? Is that, you know, how he coped? How did he get to be the success he is? And I mean... And we get to start to find out. If television, it was always there for him, and it made him feel better, I mean... I mean, you know, if, he, if he's doing that now as his job, you know, making a living off of it there, is he really all that bad? Like, he's just trying to make everybody happy, just like <laughs> him. That's all. Well, I mean, there's the version of that that could be good. Maybe that's the version that exists after the movie, right? He he's out but, there just he's 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 just trying to enter- entertain all the latchkey kids out there. That's all. He looks good with a mullet. <laughs> so here's what the guy looks like without all the goop on him. Yeah, it took me. <laughs> Took me years to put two and two together. That <laughs> this is him. Uh, He's not wearing the glasses. Yeah, yeah, took took me years. Took took me years. <laughs> um, I just realized that actually. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Just like no sold uh, Balky's love interest from Perfect Strangers. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's true. And the lumpy. This is how he gets the nickname. This is probably the like I'm I'm trying to think like was this the last movie where Bill Murray had this much hair? <laughs> <laughs> is it weird also like for me um like growing up I occasionally watched indiana jones right yeah like some of the films and 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 such but i never really like got hardcore into them and i only really like did marathons later in life so to me whenever i see her i think of scrooge first yeah i do Hmm. too i feel like that's kind of backwards i feel like a lot of people see her and they just think indie no i think that's fair i mean i think there's a lot of us who like are you know fans of ghostbusters and kind of followed the career of bill murray who identify andy mcdowell primarily with groundhog day despite Mm -hmm. the fact that andy mcdowell has done a million other things that people can identify her for doing
Must have been an 80s thing to have, like, antique tubs featured in your films. Because <laughs> this movie has toasters and tubs and all kinds of Ghostbuster 2 similarities. I think that part of it has to do with the fact that there is a period specific switch that happens where like clawfoot tubs go away mm. and like fiberglass tubs become a thing in the United States in terms of bathroom renovation. And so it's like if you want to show that you are showing something from the past, you whip out the clawfoot tub and you can be like, look, they're living in an apartment that hasn't been modernized. They're living like as people who are young people in a low rent apartment that they're doing the best to make homey for themselves. Right. And like, but it's, it is kind of like an, a, an aesthetic thing that changed in the actual way the bathrooms are made, you know? Mm-hmm. Low rent <laughs> or not, like I would do just about anything to have a Christmas like this because like this apartment looks so cozy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like I'm not, by, by, I don't mean like low rent isn't bad. I just mean that like, it's not, you know, the most modernized thing. So it probably is literally no, I, low I, I, rent, you know? No, I, I, I didn't think you were chirping on young Frank Cross. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, he's got a swing back there for God's sake. So. Oh yeah. I never noticed the swing. <laughs> I once lived in a third story walk of apartment that had a clawfoot bathtub. I admit it. Christmas isn't complete without a copy of the Kama Sutra. <laughs> <laughs> This whole scene feels just like they handed Bill Murray the Kama Sutra book and just turned and just the let him go. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine there was more than one take, and I imagine they fought him to go with the script, and I imagine he was like, "Nope." <laughs> <laughs> also, as a kid, this is one of the scenes in this movie that didn't make a lot of sense to me. I was like, "I don't understand what they're <laughs> yes. doing with this book. I don't know why she's barking so much." It does a good job of making you really like them as a couple. Yeah. And get you to root for them towards the end of the film. Frisbee. All right. Up until this point, like there's nothing to make you like Frank Cross, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's, there's enough to make you there. Like if you're a a fan of the Peter Venkman darkest moments in Ghostbusters of being sardonic, you can be like, this is that turned up to 11. You know, but like until these moments, there's not really a reason to root for him. (laughs) (laughs) Just so invested. (laughs) The big fan. Now, I do wonder how much of this was filmed with Bill Murray inside of the suit. Like, did he film the entire scene rolling around on the floor, or did they have a stunt double who did most of the frisbee work? Look how sweaty he is. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. That's not makeup. No. So I'm going to guess they probably had another guy in the suit when the head was on. There's no way I mean, Bill, with him not wanting to wear proton packs, and we all know that stuff. 
that being said, this was like his first movie back from a break. And he was, you know, one of the things that has come out about this movie is that he was pretty adamant that Carol Kane not go easy on him. Like we're going to see when they have their scenes together with all the physical comedy they have together that he was like, he, he has commented and said it was my idea for her to not take it easy on me. And it was her idea for her to actually hit me. <laughs> right. Like, and so, um, he takes a lot of physical abuse in this movie. You know, aside from his tone, I'm going to side with Frank here. (laughs) I'm just thinking, you know, like, just think about how it worked out for him. That or friends that you could see pretty much any day of the year. Yeah, I mean, there is an ethical debate we could have here, right? Like, is Frank right or wrong? And I think the part of the deal here is that Frank comes across as wrong because He's, what's the tone? It's 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 the tone, and it's the fact that like what's kind of hilarious about it is that what's building him up to be a success, and that he's kind of becoming a prima donna about a prima donna about is about being inside this dog suit. <laughs> yeah. like, he's like, I'm a performer, I'm a star, babe, and it's because he's sweating inside of a dog suit where nobody really recognizes who he is, you know. And so it's kind of interesting, like. <laughs> but yeah i mean it's it's pretty lousy in the sense that like she's supportive of him and he kind of is just abysmal to how he treats her i want to know who's the guy in the bone suit See, I mean, he's he's making the point. <laughs> Louder. Yes. I think it's funny that he's calling to the taxi on the television. Really smart, well executed yeah. transition. Yeah, it's a good dissolve, like in a good transition. it's like hey do you think he's identifying with the character of scrooge yet oh wait Well, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> what is like, this is my thought is like, what does he think is happening that like, did, does he think that suddenly Karen Allen sent an entire 
cast of characters and set up a whole set of stuff like what is how is he rationalizing this as he goes over there to figure out if she's good enough or what's going on it's like does he think she set it up <laughs> i think you're at this point he's just kind of <laughs> grasping at straws to figure yes. out you know exactly what's happening like he is so unhinged Loud. <laughs> Louder. <laughs> the direction is loud. Again, he's like, did he come down there to tell her off for some reason? Like, yeah, this is the part as a as a kid I did not get. All right, so there you go. There's your second <laughs> Goonies connection in this movie because, as you've yeah, identified before, we talked about watching this movie. She is Mama yeah, Fratelli. That's Mama Fratelli. Yeah. Which I don't know. To me, like. I, I've always thought like that somebody always has someone like that in their family. Like, no, I shouldn't say like that, but it looks like that in their family, right? <laughs> like there's always like that, that great aunt or that great grandmother, that grandmother oh, yeah. that just, you know, just looks like that. So I had one. I didn't know who was her. I had to go on an interview database, but uh, yeah, like you just said, another, another, another connection to Goonies and Bill Murray is great here. And this is, one of her last movies. Uh, she's in Scrooge, and then she's in something mm -hmm. called Meet the Hollowheads, Another Chance, and Homer and Eddie, all of which were released, uh, you know, after she passed away. She passed away in August of uh, this year, of the year of 1988, when the film came out in November. So, <laughs> that guy cracks me up. It's like she thinks he's, she, he's had some sort of breakthrough, which is kind of like you could see it on her face. She's like, wow. <laughs> it's always Chinese food. Yeah. Hey, the A and P. It didn't send any turkeys. One of the best ones <laughs> of the film. <laughs> Under A or P. I love how just like the minor annoyance sets him off. Yeah. Just. She's going to be like subdued for just a little bit of time. He cannot take her out to Chinese food. And now he's just like plummeted to right back to where he was. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 
And it's like everything has just turned right back over, right? Like every, it's like a complete 180. <laughs> like he literally says, bah humbug. <laughs> like it makes you wonder was that in the script that he was forced to say because it just feels so forced and it feels so unnecessary in the scene I admit it had to say it though yeah and in this setting it's kind of hard to work in a bah humbug organically I agree <laughs> it's about as difficult as working a Ghostbusters into a music song you know like <laughs> Several times over. It takes like 17 different attempts to do it. Old buddy Hackett here, though. He's killing it as Ebenezer. Yeah. There's a lot of people in this movie. So apparently one of the most miserable things for Bill Murray in this movie is that all of this fake snow made him cough blood. I did read that. What was it made of? <laughs> I don't know. But whatever it was, he had a reaction to and inhaling it made him cough up blood. And he sort of talked about the idea that because he had only like limited scenes with individuals for a lot of the movie that he filmed a lot of the movie by himself, you know, or like only with one or two people. And these moments where there's all these folks on set are actually pretty, like, limited throughout the movie, you know. (laughs) As weird as it is, and I don't, anybody listening to this, I don't want to come off as, like, a horrible evil tyrant, but, (laughs) like... As a kid and, you know, I growing up and, and, and such, like, I always thought of, like, Bill Murray in this movie is so despicable. Yeah. But as an adult now, like, seeing that relationship with, uh, what's his face there? Uh, um, Preston? I don't know. Like, or no, rather, Preston, uh, yeah. Something just, Bryce. to me, that is so triggering of, like, you know, if somebody comes in, you know, they, they step in, uh, you know, if you're, if you're in the workplace and you've got that other, you know, that they're gunning yeah. for your spot, gunning for your job. Like, I don't know, there's certain things like that and like the dinner with the boss that I'm just like, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of on your side here. <laughs> you know, there's just those few moments where I understand it. I will say Bryce is not a good person in this movie. And he is definitely sort of like, to me, a cartoon construction of a sort of California friendliness that could knife you in the back as a person who grew up in New York and moved to California. But <laughs> so apparently the description of her character that she was given um be in the casting process of this role or after she was cast was a demented version of Belinda the Good Witch from Whoa. Wizard of Oz, which I mean definitely you can see it. <laughs> <laughs> so this move right here, this dragging of his lip, they did so many times that she actually tore the skin between his lip and his gums. And they needed mm. to take four days off of filming for him to recover. Ouch. 
And apparently, according to reports that have been given at different points over the course of the 80s and 90s, she had issues filming this scene and broke down for 20 minutes at a time crying because of the violence involved in filming this stuff. And later in her career, she says she had fun. But at the time that she was making it, there was something going on such that she was not coping well with the physical strain and stress of being put on these wings and kind of dragged around. And so this was painful for both of them, which I mean, obviously he's playing pain for comedy, but Mm -hmm. you got to give it to them because this is one of my most memorable and favorite things about this movie is this entire sequence of them and the physical comedy involved. <laughs> it is, you know, like I I know there was kind of discussions uh, among us uh regarding uh you know marketing and stuff like that when it comes to Scrooge and there's like nothing really available and it's weird because like the actual ghost characters they they are so iconic when it comes yeah. to Christmas movies. Like I'm I'm really surprised that you cannot go and get a a three pack of scrooged ghost ornaments or right. uh even maybe you know a bill murray one which uh delivers a couple of lines like they do every single year with uh clark griswold yeah it's it's really kind of shocking to me i mean even like think about if NECA got a license for this they could do three ghosts really easily you know they've done how many other movies just randomly yeah mcfarland's but- doing the uh, movie maniacs again I have to say, like, this is probably my most memorable appearance of Carol Kane in something. I mean, I'm sure there's people out there who remember her from Taxi uh, who are a little older than I am. But I remember I remember her most from this. And then when I saw her pop up again in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, I was so excited. I was just like, oh, my oh, yeah. goodness, this is like, the you know. And there she has a sort of same kind of like similar wacky wit, you know. Isn't she also in the Addams Family movies? Yes, but only Isn't in some of them. she the grandma? Not in or, all of them. Oh, really? I think she is in Values, but she's not in the first one. Okay. I believe a different actor was uh, in the first one, and they recast between the two movies, and she became the grandmother in the second So she said that she was in control of a lot of what she did, but not her wings. So her (laughs) wings often hit him in the face and she had no control over it. She told the AV club that in an interview at one point. But imagine how many takes they must have done where she's just like flicking him in the ears over it. Like this is really a lot of abuse he took. And apparently he called for it. Like he's like told her to go nuts. (laughs) <laughs> he told the Rolling Stone at the time, I think, that um, he felt rusty having been off of films since, you know, taking the break. And mm-hmm. I think that he um, had a lot at stake in terms of making sure he could illustrate his ability to perform for, you know, coming back to other films. <laughs> but. It's interesting the dog can see him. yeah dogs can sense ghosts 
and terminators and people who are not dead but who are being carried around by ghosts that's what we learned from this movie <laughs> we have the uh, the other murray brother in the scene yeah yes we go back to john now who's playing james and joel and speaking of Adam's family. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot she was in this movie. I'm like suddenly driven to news radio. Isn't that the show that she ended up on later on? Wasn't that what that was or something? Uh, I know it wasn't. Uh, it was, it was just shoot else. me. Just shoot me. Yeah. I want to know what one of these VCR recorders retails for today. <laughs> what, what are they going for nowadays? <laughs> I love that Grace sent him something that he wasn't supposed to get one and two the other thing I love about what it is is that a VCR recorder would be something that would let him tape television right it's something that would essentially let him like in some ways record pirate TV the VCR in some ways was like the enemy right of live television at the time because it meant that you could capture those recordings so at a subtle level I love this gift because not only does Grace stick it to him by sending a better gift than towels but she also sends a gift that literally kind of sticks it to the tv industry in a way she didn't even send herself one she stuck herself with a towel but she hooked his brother up right <laughs> <laughs> but she he made her work So this moment with the toaster, John Murray told the AV club in an interview was terrifying because of how close Carol came to killing him on every take. <laughs> I never really, as a kid, understood the like severity of this scene. Yeah, it was only till like much later when I was like, oh, Herman from earlier. And then again, I mean, as an adult, I just realized that uh, his old boss, Lou Hayward, was in the movie as a, you know, a live character. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is a lot to follow. You know, it, there's there's a lot of moving parts and pieces to it. And I think but it's one of those movies and everything, you know, gets like, better the I longer you watch it. True. Yeah, he does complain about not having heat in his place and you get to see the watch again.
This is a scene from the next Ghostbusters movie. (laughs) (laughs) Scrooged Frozen Empire. He was happy, though. He had the watch. (laughs) He went out with a smile on his face, apparently. It's just weird, creepy. I think that was the confusing part for me. It's like, why was he so happy? Yeah. And, like, Frank is right here. He had Claire. He had, like, the center. Why would he go down in this, you know? underground area that I'm assuming is his kind of go-to home. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where you have to look at the fact that when you deal with folks who are, um, you know, without housing and stuff, that there's often Mm -hmm. many factors that are not logical and rational in terms of people why are making decisions they're making. There's a lot of factors contributing to that. And we don't know what Herman's whole story is. We just meet him very briefly. But He's got a watch, you know, got a watch. <laughs> He's happy about it. This is good, like sort of unsettling handheld camera work for a moment. We get from <laughs> some pretty otherwise steady cam work. Like we're watching TMZ. <laughs> <laughs> Leak footage. I'm going to dine out on this for months. All right. Now, there's a part coming up I noticed a long time ago. Bill Murray elbows Grace right in the face, (laughs) like in real life. (laughs) Like, I think her holding her face is real. He really gives her a good one. look at this control center and then like there's people injured in the background and stuff who were on set earlier it's just like this has been so calamitous so far she's planting the seed he's inspired that little kid has been incepted by by gymnastics I read uh, earlier today that four copies of that Picasso painting in his office were made and they managed to be dispersed across people who worked on the production (laughs) Mm. that there are like four replicas of a Picasso that exist just because of this movie. I love that random close up of the binder that says hip hop on it (laughs) (laughs) just says hip hop. Those are some wicked eyebrows. 
<laughs> it becomes very apparent why Preston wants there to be cats, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just a splash of tab. He's got a lot of cats at home. So TV for cats is a great idea. There it is, the Dormouse. (laughs) It also amuses me that Preston is drinking a Budweiser. Like of all the things that he could be drinking as a, a, you know, the the executive who's above Frank. Frank is making tab with, you know, liquor in it. And he's sitting at home with his cats drinking Budweiser. But that Budweiser was given to him from his butler on a tray. (laughs) <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like he's a down home boy who loves his cats, but also he is a billionaire. <laughs> Even drinks it out of the can. That's called product placement, folks. That's what that is. <laughs> You're right. I actually want to watch the full feature of this now. Right? Yeah. It's also kind of fun to think about the fact that he's drinking Tab, like he doesn't drink Coke, right? Mm-hmm. And he's drinking Stolich Naya, like during like 1988. So this is like, you're, you're really coming out of the Cold War. Like drinking Russian vodka was probably, you know, not so much the politically good choice. So it's like kind of like, hey, here's the evil dude who's drinking the off-brand cola and <laughs> that has zero calories and vodka that's from Russia. All right, so it needs to be said um, that this scene plays far more poorly than it used to, given the contemporary culture of gun violence in the United States and the workplace. <laughs> and for anyone who finds it sensitive, I totally understand. Uh, that being said, I think it, at the time, this is like Elmer Fudd hunting. Um, exactly. You know, the Bugs Bunny. And it was kind of hilarious as a kid. It would not be as funny if it wasn't an old double barrel shotgun (laughs) he went in there with like some semi-automatic or a handgun this would not play anywhere near as funny (laughs) bobcat goldthwaite is not charles bronson (laughs) (laughs) no gatlin gun And this is what gives you the sense that, like, this is what Bob Bobcat's character is, like, unhinged. Right? Like, the entire time we've seen him, like, holding it together as a straight-laced guy who thinks that the special is just too mean for families. And he gets blind, stinking drunk, and this is the rage that exists underneath. It's fucked up. <laughs> what happens if you get Lewis Tully blind, stinking drunk? What does he do? <laughs> But a lot happened to poor Bobcat in one day. Yes. <laughs> Didn't get possessed, though. True. Didn't turn into a dog.
Yep, pretty creepy as a child. <laughs> Very. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Still. Oh. I do love the head being a TV monitor, though. Yeah. We didn't really even touch on it, too. The effect of him, like, reaching through the television set, like, where he goes a little bit by little bit on each of those, like, nine television sets earlier on, like, that's crazy. Like, I was thinking about when I, when we kind of discussed that we're going to be watching this, that was, like, the one of the first scenes that popped in my head. Like, I'm going to, when I rewatch it, I'm going to see if I can figure out how they did that. Like, if maybe they put, like, a grid up in front of it and it was really just one big screen. But, no, like, that's nine screens. Like, the fact they actually did that, so cool. It really does, like, also kind of just fit so well with, obviously, like, his job as a television executive. It kind of gives you this spin from, like, the ghost of past all the way to future, where it starts out kind of like, look, he's inside this dog suit and it's kind of cute, but it's kind of dark because he's going south to where he ends up with literally an evil monster made of television Mm -hmm. all of this ghost of christmas past stuff is super future oh yeah future sorry but this is all so tim burton beetlejuice (laughs) this like super (laughs) white-faced joker thing she's got going on though is kind of weird Kind of looks like Jack Nicholson should be parading her around a museum going, look at my latest project. Her name is Alicia. Yeah. <laughs> we need some prints jamming right now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of curious, like, if, if it's like a thing where she's all white because he kind of took the life out of her, maybe? Like, I don't know. I'm yeah. just trying to think of, like, what would be the concept behind it, but uh, it works. It's very Cruella DeVille, you know, is kind mm-hmm. of like what it comes across as. Now it doesn't look like a TV. I wonder if like any of the props from this movie have ever been like sold off at auction. Be a thing to look at. I'm sure there certainly has. They must have been. They had to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just has like the taxi cab chilling. Does somebody have the uh, the big television based ghost head for this somewhere <laughs> see now he's got the mustache he's trying to look like his brother <laughs> Brian Doyle Murray I think I think the the priest here isn't it like the one of the writers uh, I, think, might be. I think there was two writers for this movie and they both have cameos in this movie and I don't remember what they are, but I think this is one of them. I think this is one of the writers. Mm-hmm. The two writers the for priest. this movie are, uh, are Mitch Glazer and I believe Michael O'Donohue is the mm. name of the other writer, if I'm not mistaken. And they were SNL alums like who had knew Murray 
from his time on SNL, which is why he kind of felt comfortable, comfortable working with him. But it also was yeah. like kind of why he ended up with a lot of influence on the script. Like at one point he told, um, he told the press that they had torn up the script into so many pieces and rewritten it that there were pieces all over his lawn, <laughs> which I don't know that that was literal, but, um, because they kind of had a collaborative process in rewriting the script before they went into it. And then of course he deviated from it anyway, cause he's Bill Murray. So. A good look at all of Bill Murray's fillings in case you ever wanted to know how many of those he had. <laughs> the thing about watching the movie in 4K. <laughs> this is so awkward. Where he gives him raspberries on his stomach. Yeah. I want to do this to everybody. Which is the second time it's happened in the movie because, of course, yeah. uh, Carol Kane gives him raspberries <laughs> earlier in the movie. <laughs> this is so weird. <laughs> it is great though that he is like totally hammered and that he's still gonna get his gun back and yeah. pretty much hold the entire room hostage and like <laughs> take over the whole show. Yep. <laughs> what a great sentiment to have in a Christmas movie. <laughs> the Jews taught me a great word. <laughs> Schmuck. <laughs> that being said, it is a great word. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was that real. real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Clearly the budget not spent on the fake snow. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm starting to get why it is that Bill Murray had such a problem with it in his lungs. Cause it looks like some sort of weird plastic shredded stuff. It's just some fiberglass and asbestos. No big deal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's where you get your moment where Bryce is certainly out to finish him when he's giggling and saying he's finished, right? You know that Bryce is a bad dude, finally. You were mm. unclear about it at any point. So, Jason, I think you're justified in not liking Bryce Cummings. Hey, there we go. I am, <laughs> though, like, pro-cat guy. Well, yeah, you can't be, like, he's, you know... He's, he's like the he's the dude who has so much money that he greenlit the hundred million dollar in our money <laughs> Scrooge spectacle that apparently involves baptizing lots of people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that's another guy who feels like they just pulled him out of the 
the yeah, crew exactly. and just gave him lines. <laughs> hey there. <laughs> you wanted me to staple him. <laughs> the moment like the credits roll, like <laughs> he gets arrested for that. Bobcat gets arrested. <laughs> You're like, what is the epilogue of this movie? You know? Yeah. There's a similar scene to Christmas Vacation where the cops all come in through the windows and stuff. And <laughs> yes. Somebody's grabbing somebody else's junk as they're all told to freeze. And <laughs> It's a weird thing to find out via live television. Where did he get like this game show little like right thing? That's it's like he has this little I think it's I don't know if it's the photo he has from his brother, but he pulls it out and holds it as if yeah. he's got like the correct answer is from a game show. And I just love the prop work <laughs> <laughs> like his own like almanac from Back to the Future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he kicked a cat. It's like all of this is happening live, right? They've 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 just decided to follow him at this point cuz it's like what else do we do? <laughs> So you have to wonder, are they still doing commercial breaks? They're like cutting away to go show people like new Coke because it's 1988. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's Coke right there. At yeah. least. Nike, Nike's waiting for their advertisement. They were on the uh, they were shown there a second ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you heard him party. <laughs> <laughs> It's gonna be a weird board meeting, right? Like the next time they all sit down for a board meeting and Elliot's sitting there and they're just like, we thought this guy was on the level. <laughs> it doesn't really age that well either. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> This is also weird. It is very <laughs> weird. <laughs> this is probably the weirdest part of this movie. <laughs> it almost feels like the whole movie's falling apart at the same time. It feels like everything's coming together, though. Like, it feels real. <laughs> it does feel like somebody just hijacked the show and the movie, as in yes. Bill, and is just going on a rant. And it does feel so real. And it, it's and it does. It's it's kind of strange, but like th what the writers were saying on set when this happened was like they call it cut, and apparently the line was uh, one of them said to the other one, "Did we just watch a Jim Jones moment? Like what just happened?" Because he <laughs> just seemed so unhinged and so goes into this cultish rant. But I guess every time they shot it, he just got bigger and bigger. And uh, to some extent, I wonder whether he was kind of trolling <laughs> Richard Donner in his attempt to make him louder and louder. But what it actually does is you're right. It kind of breaks the 
it really does create this very authentic break from the rest of the movie to offer up this kind of inspired message of hope. It's like the Gremlins 2 Hulk Hogan scene, but instead of like cutting back, it just ends. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All it's missing is like the effect of the film ripping. <laughs> 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 black and decker is just i was gonna say like call, this one calling. <laughs> you do see it repeatedly in the background when they're in the production booths that black and decker is on the screen for black and decker ads <laughs> this entire production was sponsored by screw guns <laughs> they were used to repeatedly put the set back together i believe it was hammers <laughs> black and decker <laughs> made lots of things. I made saws, made screwdrivers. Sure, lots of tools were used. This is what happens when you cover them in positive mood slime, everyone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is so obvious, like looking in the background who is an actor and who is not (laughs) (laughs) they feel like real tears (laughs) yeah It's like, look at the tears in his eyes and it's like he really worked towards it. It's it's mm-hmm. very as much as it's over the top. It's also very moving and emotional. It's just like. I have a hard time getting to the end of this movie and not winding up with sort of a happier mo- mood about, you know, sort of the holiday season as somebody who can sometimes be cynical about it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, if you didn't get far enough, then you get, of course, you know, you got to get your little kid who has his epiphany moment and can talk again. Mm-hmm. See, Grace, you didn't need to go to the doctor. You just needed to work late. (laughs) I'm assuming poor Mary Lou Retton didn't get to do her big, her big splash. (laughs) Thanks to Frank Cross going crazy. It's all right. Good Lord. (laughs) At this point, the advertisers have to be going, what is going on? (laughs) (laughs) And what's interesting is this is a Christmas movie that doesn't end with a Christmas song. True. But this movie made this a Christmas song. I'm pretty sure. In some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Like prior to this movie, this was just the song, right? So mm-hmm. it 
how come he gets oh, to be this like Herman gets to be like, you know, now in white clothes and warm. Oh, geez. <laughs> but his whole boss looks like creepy nonsense. It's so scary seeing those well, puppets in the rib cage, but they have like candy canes in their mouths and <laughs> yeah, everybody's happy now because it's Christmas. Yeah. As Bobcat is like branding, brandishing his gun around. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he's changed his position on this pretty firmly at this point. Preston's cool with it. Oh, yeah. He's been moved by the spirit. Mama Fatelli's getting lucky tonight. <laughs> Which, of course, you know, Bill Murray was in that movie. He was in Little mm -hmm. Shop of Horrors during his sort of period away from primary acting. And, I mean, that line just further adds to the whole breakdown like belief and concept like <laughs> it's so random yeah <laughs> this device works a lot better in a theater <laughs> yeah it doesn't really yeah, work yeah. at home if you're watching this by yourself <laughs> kind of reminds you in the moment there's just you know that that home video is very much and it's Infancy, as much as there's a, a, a video recorder, it's an expensive gift in this movie, right? Well, this was a fun experience. I, I value watching this movie every Christmas season. And oh, yeah, I, I will say, like I said earlier, I, I love Christmas Vacation, but this is the one that makes me feel like there's some. Some real growth of character. As opposed to just mm -hmm. kind of stuff that's fun to laugh at and it's nostalgic. And I think it's a more challenging movie to make than probably uh, Vacation was for the simple fact that you have to show some like th and that movie has some great emotional moments. The scenes of like Clark in the attic reliving his childhood are really important yeah. and stuff. But, you know, a lot of that has a lot of like kind of beats and then pay off into a comedy bit and then kind of get escalated throughout the movie. Whereas you have to really show a character arc in this movie and you're constrained by what the original story is that you're adapting. And I think it does a fairly good job of that as much as like Bill Murray didn't necessarily have the greatest experience with it. And he and Richard Donner had different experiences and like Michael O'Donoghue, Donahue by the end of his life was just like dis disavowed this movie. He just was like, I hate this movie. And gets, <laughs> really? He, he called it unadulterated shit. Uh, and and <laughs> right? I would like, definitely not say that about this movie, though. No, no I wouldn't no. either. Right. But like that was his take by the end of it was he disavowed it as like one of his works and said that about 40 percent of their original script at best made it into the movie. And the rest of it was just stuff that Donner did that was wrong and stupid. And so the writers of this movie came away from it very unhappy. And Bill Murray would go on to tell Roger Ebert that it could have been a great movie if not for Richard Donner's decisions as a director. So I still think, though, that it's a great film. Like, I think there's a lot of us who really grew up with this movie coming, especially into adolescence and coming mm -hmm. into adulthood and sort of developing that growing out of the joyful youth and innocence of Christmas, that this is a movie that kind of helped in some ways. You know, I don't know. That's just how I feel about it. But I always love watching it this time of year because it seems like every time that I watch it as I get older, notice more, realize more stuff. 
even this time kind of hit me a little bit different. Every single time I watch it as I get older, it hits me different. Like when I first started watching it, it was pretty much because it's got spooky ghosts and Bill Murray. It feels like Ghostbusters. And yes, you do yeah. get all that. You get a little, little taste of Ghostbusters, a little taste of Beetlejuice, a little taste of all the peak crazy stuff in the 80s that we all love and gremlins and all that. It's all you get a little taste of that in this movie on top of it being a Christmas classic. And you get, like you said, not peak Bill Murray, but Bill Murray probably at his height where he's trying the hardest to he's like, be back. an actor. It's his comeback mode. <laughs> it feels know? like so the most effort he put into a movie, really, with this yeah. one. But yeah, it's always great to watch. It's it's something that changes and grows and feels like a different movie every single time I watch it. And it's something yeah. that it's not surprising that we identify it to some extent as being Ghostbusters adjacent because it was marketed that way. Like one yeah. of the, some of the poster taglines said things like Bill Murray's back and he's with and B- Bill Murray's back against some ghosts, but this time it's three on one. And so <laughs> that just goes to show how big of an influence that Ghostbusters was at the time. And still this yeah. is eight, nine, yeah. well, not eight, nine years later, but five, five years later or so after. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think also too, uh, just as we get older, I mean, for people like us that, they, you know, we grew up on Scrooge, um, that sense of time, you know, you're kind of, you're, you're running out of time. Um, you've made all these decisions. Now you're living with them. I think that really kind of, it speaks to us a lot more, especially now as we watch it. Yeah. Which I guess, I, I mean, that's right. one of the, I mean, that's a key point of the actual, you know, the actual Dickens story. I mean, that's one of the, the overarching themes when it comes to pretty much nearly every adaptation. But um, yeah, definitely. I, I think for me, it hurt. It, it hits a little bit more in the feels as I get older. Yeah. I, I think that um, the, as you get further and further from that childhood experience of, you know, of what it means to be Christmas of running around and opening presents and having your relatives come over. And as you get older and instead realize that Christmas is really what you make of it uh, as an adult and what you make of, the ho- what you make of the entire holiday series in yourself. Uh, this is the kind of movie that really does kind of do that. And I, I'll admit, like I, I can be a real good cynic. I can, I've been known to do it and to pick apart and go, well, it's all financial and it's all, you know, money and it's all this, it's all marketing. After all, Rudolph the red nosed reindeer was just an advertising campaign. <laughs> like there's the ability <laughs> to lean into that part of the holiday season. And this is one of those things that kind of pulls me back from the brink of that sometimes where it's just like, you know what, there's, there's a, a, you can have a little love in your heart, not to just be stealing things from the music that's being played in the background, you know? And there you, there you get it. There's your dedications to Anne Ramsey, Roger Rothstein, Bob Scaife. Those are the folks who all were posthumously involved in this film. So, but I'm, I'm glad we did this. I'm glad we had an opportunity to sit down and uh, talk about this film and, to watch it together and sort of ring in the holiday season together with a positive message. Um, not exactly Ghostbusters, like we said, but certainly still something that I think fit right within the pantheon of stuff that we discuss and love to talk about. Um, yeah. I mean, like it, it was either this or like Christmas, Christmas with the cranks, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, a little classic. For you. That would have been a very different experience. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, anything else you want to throw out there for folks sort of like to kind of wrap up this discussion of, uh, of Scrooge and kind of to lead us out of the holiday season for folks. Uh, I would say really just, uh, I, I think 
we all kind of share the same sentiment. Uh, over this past year, Extraplasm Podcast, uh, Phantasm Toys, Ghostbusters News, uh, we've, I think, all seen some pretty nice growth. Uh, yeah. I know next year with the new movie coming out, Frozen Empire, uh, I, I wish you guys success, continued success. Uh, I know it's going to be a big year, I think, for all of us. And uh, I just want to thank everybody who is listening to this uh, uh, this podcast this week, this, uh, this, this commentary, I should say. Uh, I just want to thank everybody um, from myself, from from Tony, um, like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is I don't really know if I have the words to say it because like my life has been so impacted by everybody out there. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a high chance you probably go visit Ghostbusters news. Uh, hopefully there's a high chance that you're building up a phantasm toy collection as well. <laughs> um, you guys have, have have made my life better. You put a little love in my heart. And uh, I oh. cannot thank every single one of you enough, both the, the, you guys here on the podcast, you guys listening. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that sentiment. Um, I, I yes. would be a very different world if we didn't have all the engagement that we have with the folks out there who listen to the show and who comment on Ghostbusters news about Extraplasm and about Phantasm toys. And it's nice to sort of like have developed the um, ongoing collaborative relationship we have together. Uh, you know, sort of coming back on the podcast repeatedly because I think it's kind of pulled together folks of like-minded interests and like-minded voices who have started to find each other around our three respective kinds of understandings of Ghostbusters fandom and the things that we all love and appreciate together. And I'm always glad when the two of you are here because you add so much to Extraplasm and it would be entirely different if you weren't around. So um, I'm really grateful for you and thankful for both of you as much as I'm thankful for everybody out there listening because as we approach the end of the year, um, you know, it's, t- it's a time to be thankful and to sort of put that love out there and say, you know, what you appreciate and you're thankful for. So thank you to the two of you for coming on the show, of course, and for contributing all the time. Um, Tony, anything else you want to say to wrap it up? I mean, you guys pretty much took the words out of my mouth, really. Just anybody listening to this, I'm sure has interacted with either myself or you two. And I wouldn't, and me and Brendan both wouldn't be phantasm toys really without the support you guys have shown us both the two again the two of you here on the the podcast and everybody probably listening it's it doesn't it uh it it does mean a whole lot it really does and this time of year you can sit back and reflect and and really give thanks and and look forward to the future at the same time so half of the reason why i'm here and is just to hang out with you guys because you guys are awesome and and I just love engaging with you and like Jason said uh, we got a big year coming and I I like what we've kind of established together and I th- I I'm excited for what's to come and I can't thank everybody enough who's either listening or who have supported us either going to Ghostbusters news or buying a Phantasm toy but more importantly please subscribe and Listen to Extraplasm podcast every week because Jim's <laughs> doing a lot of great work spreading the word and he puts a lot of work into it. And I'm just a really big fan and I want to keep seeing the episodes come out. So everybody subscribe and keep it up, Jim. <laughs> I appreciate you plugging the podcast on the podcast. Yeah. Um, where else would I do that? I love you for it. It's great. <laughs> it's going I will to say the this if you're listening out there. Selling sand. If you're listening out there and you're worried that somehow this is your last extraplasm of 2023, uh, keep your eyes peeled 
for New Year's Eve weekend, uh, there will be one final episode that will appear for you uh, probably on the 30th, but definitely by the 31st that will be out there for you to take a listen to as we celebrate and ring in the new year because there's one more commentary to round out the year. And that commentary is going to be on a little more Ghostbusters focused content, something that kind of takes place on New Year's Eve, potentially involving a baby and the beginning of a season of evil and (laughs) a guy who has a pink floating head, which is a good time for me to remind you also that as we enter into the new year and as we cross into New Year's Eve, you should keep your eyes peeled to Phantasm Toys uh, because, Tony, what do you have on order for folks beginning at the beginning of the new year? Well, thanks, Jim, for reminding me. I almost forgot myself, but <laughs> <laughs> the the season of evil begins with the birth of a new year. So just like the prophecy said, at, at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve, uh, we'll have the coming of Viggy, the bad monkey. But actually, he's just the floating head form of everybody's favorite Carpathian. Which we tried to just capture probably what is five to six, maybe seven seconds total worth <laughs> of screen time in the film when he's just a, a floating head there at the finale. But we'll have two sizes of Viggy available. One comes with a little altar and uh, scales perfectly with your Maddie Collector or Kenner figures or your Plasma series. or they, They're a great addition to those collections. And then we also have a... XL version, a big head, which is just a beautiful display piece. And you can see all the details and all that good stuff. But it'll all be starting uh, pre-orders on New Year's Day. So the stroke of midnight. Look out for Viggy. I will definitely be uh, looking for this because I've seen your prototypes of it and it's amazing. Uh, But I for those for serious, like, you know, no joke. Tune in for the New Year's Eve episode. It will be out for you to be able to start the movie at 10 28 p.m which does in fact sync you up with new year's so that way when yes. new year's happens in your local local location uh you can have the sh- clock strike 12 as everyone's singing all lang syne and making vigo suffer in pain uh <laughs> within the movie because <laughs> you're watching it but it will be out for you uh guest list is still kind of being confirmed on that so uh you'll have to tune in and figure out who's going to be on it but uh keep your eyes peeled for it and your ears open and we'll look i look forward to being there for you um, any final words as we wrap up? I hope everybody has a great Christmas, great holidays, great New Year's, and can't wait till March. And if you don't like Christmas, bah humbug. <laughs> <laughs> if, look, if you don't celebrate Christmas, this means that you are no less entitled to a happy holiday season. I will definitely say this just means we need a Christmas movie. Uh, but I, I will say, make sure that you are also going and liking and subscribing everything that Jason's doing over at Ghostbusters News because his yes. content is engaging. And if if truth is to be told, then I imagine that he may have another build of something made of things that are 3D printed that he might be revealing soon. Oh, my. Uh, yeah. Um, for Halloween as part of the Halloween countdown, uh, I did the real Ghostbusters Proton Pack, which those files were made by Ghostbusters Gear over on uh, Patreon, Instagram, pretty much all the socials. And uh, he has now made a gigantic uh, firehouse that will scale with like your Kinder Real Ghostbusters. It also scales pretty darn nice with the Plasma Series figures. It's a little small, but it works. Uh, but it is made to pretty much remodel the old Kinner firehouse, but 
just make it look a lot more like the actual hook and ladder. Um, the exterior yeah. is long. I mean, it's going to be multiple floors. And yeah, I'm currently printing that right now. And I'm hoping that we can like release the first build video. I don't know how long it's going to be. Two videos, three videos. I have no idea. Like he's still built. Like he's still actually designing it. Gotcha. Uh, he just released the files for like the top of the thing. After that, it's going to be like the wood floors. And then I don't know if he's going to be like adding a containment unit. I don't know if he's going to be adding like furniture, like anything crazy like that. But um, yeah, hopefully probably maybe at least three videos, I would think, for this build, uh, much like the Proton Pack. But it looks incredible. I'm excited to see it put together, um, having you like having watched your last build video and having seen pieces of it coming together because you're kind of showing off, I think, in really cool ways what can be done with. 3D printing tech at home. If you make the investment on a good printer, um, it's been kind of impressive to see what you're putting together and whatnot. And I'm kind of like excited about this. And maybe I'm overly nerding <laughs> about you building things, but I often am nerding about my friends building things. So, um, but no, I, can, can I tell as yeah. someone who, who does print, uh, quite a bit now in 3d, uh, I'm excited when I see people like make something like Tony, for example, when I see, Hey, here's Vigi, I'm very excited about that. But me, as somebody who, you know, prints quite a bit too, um, my own work, <laughs> the, the failed prints, the issues, the problems, the headaches that come attached to that. Uh, yeah, I'm always more excited to see what other people are making than my own <laughs> because, yeah, it, it, you don't see the headache. You don't see the, oh, yeah. uh, you know, all the all the resources that is going in the garbage because, yeah, this thing didn't turn out right or, you know, you've got to fix this. You got to alter that. Hey, um, yeah, there, there's always some headache there. That's the learning curve that teaches you why custom figures cost what they cost, right? That's <laughs> exactly. Cause I have a lot of work involved. I have boxes of tests and Vigi heads and all kinds of fun stuff. That's fine. Yes, it's send all part of here. the game though. Send, send them here when you're done being famous, <laughs> when you get, when you get to be a famous toy designer and you launch your, has your, your, um, your, your Hasbro competitor, uh, that's going to take down the toy industry. I will have tons of test shots to put on eBay and be like, ha ha, $500 a piece test shots of Viggy. Ha ha. <laughs> They'll go but in like my Jason, toy box for Christmas. <laughs> like Jason was saying, he's, he's making some really awesome stuff and uh, Ghostbusters gear is designing a lot of really awesome stuff. So if you do have a 3d printer and you have the, the opportunity or the capabilities to do it, that's the place to go to get some really cool stuff. And, and there's also uh, the containment unit toys are doing cool stuff and real Ghostbusters is doing cool stuff and John Urkaba's prints and all that stuff. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of people in the community making some really cool stuff. Yes, Hasbro's got the license and they're and they're going to be releasing a lot of the merchandise and they're I'm sure we're going to get some fun stuff with Bros of the Empire. But there's also the little guys like the real Ghostbusters and others that are doing things and TCU toys, like I said. So keep an eye out for everybody. Everybody's having and fun and. If, yeah, if we're cool going to be stuff. like thankful and such like that, I also just want to say if anyone from uh, Sony Pictures is, is listening, uh, thank you for allowing all these, you know, creators to, uh, to make <laughs> such awesome things <laughs> Yes, uh, and being so welcoming uh, of all these, uh, you know, low, I, I guess I could say uh, smaller runs, we'll say smaller runs. I was going to say low figures, rent, but no. <laughs> No, 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 no. Just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. But yeah, no, I, I want to say also thank you to everybody at Ghost Core for a great year and a great film to be coming as well, because like beyond just, hey, the ability for us to have a, a thriving fandom where great stuff is created and 
we kind of have the creative freedom to do so. Uh, we wouldn't have any of the stuff to do if it weren't for the films and the stories and the characters that are kind of kept, uh, you know, I, I often talk about the folks in the ghost core office and the fake firehouse in the Sony lot as being the stewards of our narrative car- canon in some ways, you know, they kind of help to make sure it's guided on the right paths and keeps it healthy and alive. And of course, I want to say thank you, of course, to, you know, the folks making the new Ghostbusters movie to Jason Reitman and Gil Kennan and all the casts and crew and the folks who are out there. I hope all those folks have an amazing holiday season and get to finally have some time off after, you know, working on a movie pretty much very, di- very hard, very fast through June to try and beat a, a strike and then coming right back at the holiday season to be like, wham, we got to go back and do some reshoots. So I think they can hope I hope they get some time to really celebrate with their families and stuff before we all get into waiting this movie and watching it get marketed in Q1 of next year. So, um, yeah. Okay. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Um, so thank you again to both of you for coming on the podcast. Um, happy holidays to everybody out there. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll uh, tune in next week for the final episode of the year. And if you don't, for some reason, if you're like, no, I hate New Year's and I don't do that. My resolution is to not listen to New Year's podcasts. Then we'll see you in 2024. (laughs) (laughs) That about wraps things up for this special holiday episode of Extraplasm. And I want to say thank you once again to Tony and Jason for joining us and sharing in the fun of appreciating a Christmas classic together. I, of course, also want to say thank you to Brendan Pierce of Biducci Studios, who designs the podcast's logo, as well as Vaporwave artist Magnavox, whose version of Ghostbusters serves as our theme music. And finally, thank you for tuning in, uh, for listening each week, and for being a phenomenal and growing community that I'm eager to engage after each episode. You can, of course, do that by hitting me at Extraplasm on Instagram or on X. You can reach me on Facebook at Extraplasm Podcast or on YouTube at Extraplasm Podcast. Uh, where hopefully you've gone and liked and subscribed so you can come back for a live premiere next week. Or you can always reach me via email uh, at extraplasmpodcast at gmail.com. On behalf of myself, uh, of Extraplasm, its varied guests, and everyone who's been involved in the show over the last year, happy holidays to you and your loved ones. May you be happy, healthy, and full of so much cheer that people think you've been listening to Jackie Wilson and sipping on mood slime. And no matter what holiday you're celebrating or who you're celebrating with, don't forget, as Ernie Hudson says, try to have fun and always keep on busting. Take care. <laughs>